Welcome, everybody. Life in Red. Because my conversation with Carolina went so long, I decided to cut the ending off where we actually went into the election issues and platforms and what the parties are kind of doing. Because I know a lot of people don't like long-form content and they're not going to listen all the way through. So I wanted to break it down uh, into two parts. You can go and listen to the whole podcast, which includes this part uh, that was released earlier. Or you can listen to this one now if you're just interested in hearing about the parties and their platforms and what this election is going to bring. So, without further ado, here is me with Caroline O'Neill and everything you need to know on the 2019 election. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. But I'm also going to cut this part starting now. Just so it's like a brief overview mm-hmm. and we're just going to go through each party. Okay, let's do it. So let's start from the bottom and we're okay. going to work our way up. Okay. What are some of the things that Green Party is promising? What are they plat- What are they campaigning on? What are people saying? What What's kind of going on with the Green Party? The number one thing that the Green Party are promising is a commitment to the environment. So if people watch the first debate, I would argue Elizabeth May actually came off as the winner because it was such an, a debate focused on environmental issues. And I think she really proved that she has been talking about it this whole time. Mm-hmm. So I would say that if you're somebody who is really concerned about climate change and the environment, that would probably be your best bet if you were looking for the most educated and like the, I would say, um, the most competent leader in that regard. Okay. So I think that's a very common perception that Green Party yeah. is the environment. Yep. Do they have other thing like do they have plans for the economy for yeah so jobs? they actually they only just released their policy platform I think at the York Hotel the other day okay and they do have plans for those things okay typically those aren't the things that necessarily sing through as much right but they do have plans and so there's pol- like those policy platforms you can find on their websites there okay. but I would still say that her number one messaging right now and again because so much of what we're talking about is pipelines and. Mm-hmm indigenous issues and carbon tax i do think that that's kind of what their main one is is there a lot of deviation from like an ndp platform in the in the green party because to me they kind of seem a little bit the same and i think what a little scares a lot of people off of them is tax and we know tax yeah canadians do not well North America, Western society does not like tax. Well, and you also talked about the idea of affordability, right? And that yeah. often comes down to the story of social services or cuts, right? Yeah. And so typically an NDP government will be promising services with the implication that we're spending more. Mm-hmm. Whereas a conservative government will say, you got to lose some to win some, mm-hmm. right? Um, the Green Party is typically similar in that line. They're also, Elizabeth May is an interesting person because she's also a very devout Catholic, right? And you don't often see that in a progressive leader, right? The only mm-hmm. other leader we really see that in is Andrew Scheer. And that's also why one of the things that she's been touching on a lot right now is abortion. That's already come up quite a bit with her. And that was kind of asked if she, what her stance was and if she would reopen the abortion debate. And so she said that she was 
happy to have somebody in her party who disagreed with abortion, but she still views the law as the law, which is actually a very similar to the conservative sentiment. So the Green Party is a bit hmm. of an enigma in that regard. Interesting. Because the NDP would have more of a zero tolerance policy on that sort of thing. And they're also not headed up by a devout Catholic. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of looking through. Um, I mean, I think the the Bible, I guess, that people should be looking at is McLean's. They have a mm -hmm. platform guide. Mm -hmm. I think CBC kind of does, too. They have um, Political Compass. Is that what Yeah, I loved Political Compass. Yeah. I took mine. Um, I'm not going to share what my results were. <laughs> but that was a really, really good one. Yeah. So a couple of things that I'm seeing is... Um, they're going to be, uh, they, they want to balance the budget within mm -hmm. five years. Mm -hmm. So that's something. Um, a couple of things that I'm looking, so they do want to obviously tax a little, a little bit more, but mm -hmm. so a couple of things that stand out to me, um, eliminate the 50% corporate meals and entertainment expense. So they want to reduce some of the government spending mm -hmm. uh, within themselves. Um, you know, a couple other things here, but it looks like they're working at jobs and I don't know. I just don't feel a lot of people take the Green Party seriously, and I don't know if I should either. You know what? I think the problem is their leader. <laughs> um, really? Elizabeth I... May is a controversial person. She always has been. I think she's always going to be. Um, I would say a few things about Elizabeth May. You know, she's had some of her problems before. She often doesn't present herself as a policy, not, as a policy person, and I think that that can often be really tough. Um... The other problem is that if you look at a party that's rooted in the environment, that should be a party that is chock full of young people. And it never really is, right? Mm. And that always kind of makes me wonder what might be going on if there isn't really that sort of excitement or that enjoyment or that want to be there. Right. But yeah, she has some strong moments. Like I said, I would argue she typically almost always wins debates. Um, the other thing I appreciate about her this go around is when she released her policy platform last week, she said she knew she wasn't becoming prime minister and she made the case for minority government and she made the case that she could be the figure to make that happen. And I think that is a smart, smart move because she's not asking for too much, but she's saying that if you take her seriously and if you're concerned and especially if she's saying and if you don't want a conservative government and she's always come out very strongly against the conservatives. She could be the person to save you. And I think that is a smart, smart strategy. Right. Um, yeah, not a whole lot else coming out from them. There are a couple things. You know, they want to review all NATO commitments. So that could be a sign of reducing military spending and, and platforms. And again, all this stuff, I encourage you listening to go uh, have a listen to it. But... It'll be interesting to see that if that that minority government, you know, movement can can be pushed between there, and between the NDP, right? If you kind of have the Green Party and the NDP together, they will have a lot that kind of. Hmm. I think they'll have a lot that will impact people for sure. So the NDP, from what yes. I'm seeing, they're the ones who have the most information. They yeah. have the most information out right now. They have tons of information. They yeah. have policies coming out every day. Yeah. So their policy platform is called A New Deal for People, New Democrats Commitment to You. And if you go on their website, it is just split up into all sorts of different things. You can also search an issue that matters to you and it'll pop up that way. 
So they're talking affordability, they're talking economy, they're talking climate change, they're talking reconciliation, they're talking about lots of different things. Mm -hmm. So what they've done that's very smart is their very first policy piece that they've listed is making life more affordable for everyday people. And that, you mentioned how excited you were to vote for Jack Layton. That's really calling back to the Jack Layton days. Mm -hmm. Because Jack Layton really was looking at this as a union man. He was looking at this as your average worker, your blue-collar worker, and then things changed with Tom Mulcair. So a few things that they're talking about here is medicine for all. They're talking about making sure everyone can afford a place to call home. They're looking at affordable post-secondary education, and they're looking at childcare when you need it. Childcare was also something that inspired many people to vote for the NDP in the provincial election as well. Mm-hmm. Um, two of the big things is, I think, in Ontario... Mm-hmm. People are absolutely terrified of the NDP mm-hmm. going back to Bob Ray days. Mm-hmm. And they are. all I have ever heard about NDP is you can't vote for them because they just, they spent. That is a fear. Yeah. For sure. Now, there have been examples of people who have done things differently. A really good example would be Rachel Notley, for instance, right? She was an NDP leader who did things very differently. But you are right. Like, Now, what they would tell you is that that is the price of goods and services, Mm -hmm. right? So for all of those people who have maybe been complaining about cuts in Ontario and don't like those, the NDP would tell you, well, we're not going to cut things, but we are going to be putting in money. So I think a lot of what an election too is compromises. Mm -hmm. And so they would tell you that that's their compromise. If you care about childcare, if you want Medicare, if you want this new deal we're offering you, it's a deal, right? It's going to be between us, the party, and you, the Canadians. Mm-hmm. And I think it's his way of kind of showing, like, we're willing to do things differently. We're willing to kind of show you that we care about you, right? I think a really great example of this was that right now they're actually campaigning on a national auto policy to save auto jobs. And again, when we talk about those, like, golden NDP days, that's where it was. Not so much in some of this kind of like, I'm a highbrow progressive who has a master from McGill, right? Mm-hmm. It's this, I care about the everyday person. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, when you look at NDP, mm-hmm. that screams, you know, socialist, communist, and that's going to terrify a lot of right-wingers away. Mm-hmm. Over the years, mm-hmm. Well, I start off, and I still believe I'm I'm more on the left than I am the right. I have started to understand, especially working in a corporation and for-profit business, how the world works mm-hmm. and how it's currently set up, mm-hmm. and understanding the point of view of you know libertarians and free market and government, and not necessarily that I agree, but I understand their point of view a lot more. So when I look at you know, one of the things they want to do is put a a, a tax on the 1%, over $25 million, mm-hmm. a luxury tax, yep. and on all that type of stuff. What that says to me is that's going to scare a lot of businesses away and a lot of rich people who want to invest in Canada. Mm-hmm. Do you see it the same way? Does everyday Canadians... Because when you get a lot to progressives... Mm-hmm and it's not right or wrong, that, yeah, they want the government to do more and they want corporations to do more. And I agree, corporations especially should have a lot more of a responsibility in Mm -hmm. in things. Right now, we still live in a capitalist system where money trumps everything. Yeah. And I don't know if businesses will support an NDP government. 
I would say a few things to that. Number one, again, one of the most popular politicians, Bernie Sanders, is a socialist. So there is some momentum there. That is American. But that's for the, the people. Yeah. Not the business. And right now, business drives society. Business at this does. point. At this point. But I also think that, again, right, like, the rich make up a very small percent of us. Mm-hmm. And if we were to look at this holistically again, right, you said you were very concerned about our democracy. If you're concerned about our democracy, you're probably then concerned about who has power, right? The Irvings have a lot of power, right? The very small few who have all of this money in our country. And I think if you really wanted to break that system, part of that would include breaking that hold that the wealthy have on Canada, right? Mm -hmm. So again, that's why people got so pissed off about that Loblaws thing, right? People do get scared, but they also get angry, right? Mm -hmm. Why are you giving Loblaws all this money? They can afford fridges. I can't afford fridges, right? Mm -hmm. And that was across party lines when people are saying that. Now, I do agree. There is a level of fear that comes towards the NDP. This happens a lot. But I do think that they are kind of making the case for some other things, right? They're talking about things like auto jobs. Like, they're looking at this very holistically. Mm -hmm. But they have been upfront that they will be taxing the rich. Again, I think people also forget how incredibly rich the rich are in this country. So I don't think it means our businesses will stop. Yeah, but what I want, what I just wonder, and mm-hmm. it's a wonder out loud, is will they pull business? Will they move, biz- like their business away? Will they, will they go into America? You know what I mean? It's just yeah. The honest answer I have is I don't know. Yeah, I know. We've never seen them govern on a federal level. And I definitely would love to see some sort of change mm-hmm. in terms of the power dynamics of how corporations have on us Mm -hmm. and on society and that the NDP honestly truly the NDP seems like it would be the best for the people um in terms of overall life at least at this point I I can't say how everything would play out but like I just knowing what I know about for-profit businesses I think there would be a lot of hurt before things also got better and I that just that that's the are we willing to risk it well, and that's also don't know. what you're seeing now, right, that I think the conservatives in Ontario are arguing, right? People are complaining left, right, and center about services being caught. And it's that act, the exact thing you said is what the conservatives are saying, right? You need the hurt before we can fix things, right? Mm-hmm. If you voted for the conservatives in 2018, you were probably voting because you wanted us to fix the deficit. We got to cut things to fix the deficit, which means you're going to have to hurt. Mm-hmm. So I do think sometimes those are tough, tough choices people have to make. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, too, right, where it kind of goes back to the problem with our political system is people may not always be aware they're making those choices when they get to the ballot box, right? If you're only voting on SNC-Lavalin or you're only voting on something Andrew Shear said or you're only voting on do I know if I trust this person to be a leader, you might not be voting on some of those things that will impact your day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Is uh, Jagmeet saying that, did I say it right? Jagmeet. Jagmeet. Yeah. My apologies, sir. Um, is he a strong enough leader? Because I truly don't believe that rural Canada is ready to endorse a minority. Yeah, so there are a few things to come out of this. First of all, one of, I think, the most jarring things going back to the Brownface incident today was I believe there was a poll that kind of said that most Canadians are not ready yet for a leader wearing a turban. Yeah, and then this brown face thing breaks, right? And if there was anything that told a very upsetting story of our country, it would probably be those two images. Mm-hmm. We're both from rural Canada. 
I'm not saying this in any kind of pitying light or, you know, a stereotypical light or to kind of replace some attitudes because let's be real, people in rural Canada can have some very troubling attitudes. At the same time, where has Jigmeet been? Has he been in a minivan driving across rural Canada, meeting with people like my grandparents? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Right? You have to go out and see them. This was the same thing with the provincial election, right? I feel like all of Toronto got really mad that Doug Ford won, but none of them stopped to think about why that would be. Rural Canada, we, as especially as we saw in the provincial election, felt forgotten, right? We're here in Ottawa. We're here in Toronto. We're here in Montreal. We're in our bubble. Yeah. Whereas some people in rural parts of this country don't have dial-up, right? Or they have dial-up. They don't have broadband. Mm -hmm. They can't write a resume or send it in because their internet's not working. They can't even participate in the digital economy, right? They feel that they've been vilified for farmer, being farmers. They feel that all of these things have happened. And a lot of this is trust-based, right? Typically, the people that do well are the ones who they see. So, for instance, if you were to look at the Carlton writing where Pierre Polyev is the member of parliament, right? A very controversial guy. He's very good about canvassing. People know him. He's out there all the time. I think he's already canvassed four or five times, like, in, like, just a little bit before the writ dropped. He does it often, right? They need to meet you and see you. Mm -hmm. I personally have felt that Jagmeet Singh, this has been one of my biggest problems with him. I don't think he's really given rural Canada a fair shot. And that also upsets me because he has some strong MPs who represent rural parts of the country. Like Charlie Angus, who represents Timmins James Bay, right? He represents a super interesting writing because it's very rural, but mm -hmm. it's also very Indigenous focused. So he can speak to a wide variety of people. Why not get him in a bus and go across and speak to some of the people, right? Because a lot of these issues do tend to be universal to a point. And he can speak to it like that. And over time, Jagmeet Singh will pick it up. But I do feel that he has been largely absent from that place. Hmm. And in that case, that does kind of take away from his leadership. Right. It's the same thing that got Trump elected, right? Like, mm -hmm. And Doug Ford. Yeah, people don't respect the people who live outside of the mm -hmm. of our bubbles in the cities and mm -hmm. in, in the urban settings where we're surrounded by diversity and, and we, you know, we, we kind of get it and we, we talk to progressive people in universities and people with all these ideas. Whereas when I go, even just 30 minutes west of Ottawa, those same conversations aren't necessarily happening as as much. And you just, you see it. They, they're just, they're fiercely conservative. And I also haven't seen a lot of media there. Part of that problem is, especially with the Metroland closure, some really good local papers are no longer there. Mm -hmm. And local papers are an incredible resource. They're such a great archive and record of what is mattering to people. And that's also a way for people to have their voices heard, right? I haven't seen a ton of profiles from, I'm not even going to name organizations, but most of the mainstream media on some of these different rural places, right? What has it been well. like in rural Canada over the past four years, right? What are Do they care about SNC-Lavalin? What do they care about, right? And I also think people will surprise you. I was in Manatic in the height of SNC-Lavalin. And somebody who owned a small business actually had one of those boards that they bought out and they wrote like, we support you, Jody Wilson-Raybould. Thank you for your integrity. And that I interviewed that person and that was like a, a heavy duty conservative who did that. Hmm. So I think that a big part, especially number one for the media, is if we're telling that story, it's the story of the voters. So we need to go talk to them. And if you're interviewing for that job, 
the one thing too that people forget about rural voters is they do typically tend to be extremely conservative as you said they also vote it's the cities and the progressives and the young people who often don't do that rural canadians are almost assured to make it to the polls and i think a lot of it now is even more so because they do feel that their voices have been left behind and if there's one way to make your voice loud and heard it's to vote right and it's to win that vote yeah that's a lot of people in cities talk a lot of game but don't they don't walk the walk or they don't they make it up an excuse or and it's it's really unfortunate because you see it reflected i'm interested to see what the total number will be of who votes let Um, me tell you rural canada will be there yeah um anything else to add on ndp um the other one like i said i think the free dental care plan is a really interesting one where they said that they're going to be making that available to homes making under seventy thousand dollars and according to the ndp that will provide 4.3 million people with care and so i think that's huge that's huge right and it's also again like you and I know this little things add up to the cost of your life every single day. And I do think that is a good example of somebody who's kind of looking at the idea of what are these little things and what do they mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You, they want the uh, universal uh, pharmacare mm-hmm. system as well. Yeah. So everyone gets their medicine paid for uh, by the government. So uh, free tuition, That's um, a huge one. you know, and you see it basically think about finland sweden Mm -hmm. switzerland denmark yes scandinavia all those places that also have a very high quality of life and ndp are kind of trying to match that yeah conservatives all right i have my notes let's take a little (laughs) look at what they are we've talked about them a little bit we have it's very interesting Mm -hmm. um they don't have a whole lot out right now a lot of it has been just don't vote Trudeau, vote, vote us. Right. This has been a lot of it. Yeah. They've also brought out an old an old favorite of theirs, Stephen Harper, brought him back into one of the ads, right? Oh, uh, yes. Really, really making Their a champion. point. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I saw they, they wanted to do some tax uh, credits to right. families. So this is kind of your like classic conservative handbook right now. So I would say like the number one thing that you're going to be looking at in this election from the conservatives is an economic pledge, which is their universal tax cut. So they say that this could save families about $850 a year, and they would be reducing some income taxes for those who make less than $47,000 a year. And so they're saying that that's based on households with two people working full time. The other thing Shear said he would do is that he would bring back a public transit tax credit if he was elected. So he says that he'll let users, transit users, claim up to 15% they spent on passes. So think about the week we've had in our city with LRT mm-hmm. and with the OC Transpo. This is actually personal for him. So I don't know if you remember this, like, sheer so poor hashtag that was trending. Yeah, This yeah, is yeah. another example of politics done dirty. So... Um, Sheer kind of talked about growing up in a townhouse and not having access to a bus line and people started doing this hashtag Sheer so poor. I would say as much as we're holding the liberals to account for some of the things they've done, or sorry, as we're holding anybody to account, you know, the reality is Trudeau did grow up very rich. He is one of those dynasties and he is elite. Was Sheer the poorest of the poor? (laughs) No. But Sheer is one of those stories of somebody who kind of worked to where they are, right? Mm -hmm. And he's somebody who grew up and didn't. his family didn't have a car. So I think this is a really good example of 
something that's a personal one that makes sense. He's often not good, though, at sharing those personal stories. Because I think if people, like, if he was like, I get it, I know what it's like to depend on this and have to pay for this. But sometimes I find he doesn't communicate that To well. me, he seems like a robot. A lot um, of people feel this way. <laughs> he kind of seems devoid of emotion. Mm-hmm. I don't say this... He remi- like reminds me of someone with psychopathic tendencies. Oh, whoa! <laughs> in the sense, or sociopath, in the sense that he doesn't look you in the eye, mm-hmm. kind of shifty, mm-hmm. um, like keeps his distance, kind of tells you what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. Almost like he acts like emotion, like acts an emotion rather mm-hmm. than displays it. He's a very scripted guy. Yeah, I don't know. That's why I don't know him. Like, I can't say, like, these mm-hmm. things. This is what I see how he presents himself. That there's just, it's like a cold wall. So I got a few things with this. First of all, um, party insiders, not big fans of his for the most part. When you look back at that federal leadership race, I think part of the problem was there were too many people running. And you had some intense people, right? This was when Kevin O'Leary was running. Right. This was when Kelly Leach released that video where it looked like she was being held hostage, right? There was that whole Michael Chong situation. There was a lot going on. He kind of came out of nowhere and got this leadership bit, right? And people, like, I remember being at a journalism conference in British Columbia and journalists who, like, I've looked up to and admired were like, who's Andrew Shear? Right? Like, he really came out of nowhere. Some people do have some questions about how he got that leadership. And the other problem, too, again, was that he had... Ronna Ambrose was strong. She was the perfect person to fight against Justin Trudeau, right? She's a woman. So whenever he did all this feminism stuff, there was very easily something for her to throw Mm -hmm. back. She was fiscally conservative, but socially a little more progressive, right? She was the one who brought Malala over to address the House of Commons. She's the one who, like I said, put forward that sexual assault bill. She was proving that just because you're conservative doesn't mean you're a certain way. Andrew Shear has not done a ton to pick up that torch, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's also very frustrating for people. And she was a woman full of personality, and it doesn't really shine through as much with him. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some things people like. He drives a minivan, which is very, like, middle class. Um, but I will say... <laughs> that's an act. It's got to be. But there, like, there, there are definitely, I think, some problems with him. And that's why, at the beginning of this, you mentioned that fear of people voting conservative over liberals because they're mad at the liberals or the fear of having a conservative government. And I think the number one reason there is that fear is because people are scared of Sheer because they don't know him. Mm, that's a good point. Um, a lot of stuff I see as well is kind of like that United States fear mongering type policies. So I see some stuff like they don't want uh, they'll bar Huawei from participating in 5G networks. They'll work on a inter um continental ballistic system mm-hmm. like kind of like these things that like it, it seems like no one really cares about in my opinion or at least i don't see people outwardly caring about them and um, all the things we kind of talked about like you know cost of living environment they don't have a lot to say there's the universal tax cut now to the environment part they do have a lot to say so he calls it the real plan to protect the environment okay and he says that it won't be taking money out of canada's pocket so The way they say to do this is that they're going to be promising that big polluters will have to pay money into a technology fund. And that's where they kind of make mention to Canada's Paris agreements. Now, the one thing is it doesn't actually estimate the emissions reductions for the next 11 years, which is where we're looking at those 2030 targets. So that is something that a lot of people have called them out for. The other thing that obviously comes out of this is the carbon tax. So 
If you've heard of conservatives and you've heard of carbon tax, I think we all know where they stand on this. Now, the one thing that the conservatives haven't mentioned is that there is a rebate for the carbon tax. And I think a lot of people are getting frustrated that they mention one without the other. Mm-hmm. I, I, thanks to that rebate, it was the first time I got money back on my taxes in a couple of years. It was kind of great. There you go, right? <laughs> So those are things that people would want to know. The other thing in terms of environment is that they're big into this capture and storage method, which they say is a way of stopping CO2 from reaching the atmosphere. But some critics say that this is actually unreasonable because it doesn't actually exist. Hmm. Interesting. And I think in Ontario, you see what Doug Ford has done and the policy his government has put forth. And that turns a lot of people off, not just for the cuts. Mm -hmm. Those speak for themselves. But the fact that it seems every time the Ford government tries to do something, they have to walk it back because people go get go ballistic over it. And this is another interesting point. So early on in the House of Commons, when SNC-Lavalin was dying down before the writ was issued, before this week went to hell, there was an interesting play being made by the Liberals. Their early strategy seemed to be that they were alleging that Andrew Shearer was more of a puppet And again, kind of going back to that personality void some people seem to see from him. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of saying, like, Doug Ford's really running the show. So I don't know if you've noticed, Doug Ford's been kind of staying away from Andrew Scheer right now. And for a long time, that would be the Liberals' number one talking point. Like, you only care about this because Doug Ford said it first. Or Doug Ford's controlling this. Or you're doing what Doug Ford says. And they're at this weird position now where they're trying to show that Andrew Scheer is the leader. And that would be concerning for them, but obviously many parties are facing many more Mm -hmm. concerning things. But I do think that for, especially for Ontario voters who do not like what they've seen from Doug Ford, that's probably somewhere floating in the back of their mind. Mm -hmm. And that's where we go back to that ever ending story of the don't vote this party because you're mad at this party. And people forget that we have other parties too. Yeah. Um, I think one thing important to note when it comes to conservative is the movement across Canada in the provincial elections that have all been going conservative. This will be an election to watch, which people say every election season, and I believe every election is going to watch. <laughs> it is. It's but important. the way that it's almost been for quite some time is that whatever the provinces are, the majority will flip. That's kind of been like, it's typically been that the federal leader is not the same party as the provincial leader. Hmm. So if we're going by tradition, that could be good news for liberals. It could be good news for a majority. Elizabeth May, if lightning strikes or Jagmeet Singh. But if it is conservatives, that's a different playing field for us that I don't think we've experienced in quite some time. Hmm. Because it would mean a huge coalition, right? We see that all the time already. You see Doug Ford, who has a good coalition going on with Scott Moe, who's the premier of Saskatchewan. Brian Pallister, who's the premier of Manitoba. And Blaine Higgs, who's the premier of New Brunswick. They meet regularly. They're on the same page. They were kind of throwing those um, Supreme Court challenges to the carbon tax. They work very well as a faction. And if they had Andrew Scheer on their side too, that's kind of a different game for politics right now. Mm -hmm. But it would also still pose that question of who's the leader out of that group. Yeah, interesting. Anything else to add on the conservatives? Um... Let me think about what were some of the other things. The other one that they have talked about is Scheer sent out a letter... In the summer to provinces and territories, basically saying that if he was elected as prime minister, the conservatives would increase the health and social transfer payments by at least 3% each year. 
And the liberals have jumped on that, saying that that is absolutely phony because they said that um, Doug Ford cut that in Ontario. So what does that mean quickly? Just Cole's notes, like the health transfer tax. So he basically is saying that this would kind of be a way to balance the budget and still kind of get make sure that people have the health care that they're looking for. But this has been super controversial. Bill Morneau's basically said that she's ignoring the new formula for health, which means that there is already, according to the Liberals, a plan in place for $3 billion in cuts over the next few years. So that's just federal government putting money to the provincial government exactly. for health care? Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huh. So that's what's up with them. A lot of he, he said, she said type thing going it on It is that. definitely. The Liberals. Choose forward. Yeah. They, if, they've almost done... I, I don't see any information. I think right. it's why they're just like, we're just going to keep going the way we've been going. That's basically what they're... If I were to crystallize it in a nutshell, I'd be like, if you're okay with the past four years, let's keep this going. Gotcha. The other thing, though, that you could look at that would be if you cared about some of those policy platforms that died in Senate. So things like the Bill on the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, something like that sexual assault bill, they're saying, well, let us try again. So some people are very on board for that. Some people feel it's a dirty, dirty move. Hmm. So that is something that we're going to see. Now, again, this is going to be the battle of the um, the battle of the middle class. Now, the economy has actually been fairly strong under the liberal government. So that is definitely something that they can tout. But there are some things that we're going to see. So, again, the carbon tax will be something that we're going to see. They're going to be talking about that rebate. I would say a lot of his image, again, really does rely on the environment. So some of the things that we'll be looking at would be their records. So a ban on oil tankers off of British Columbia, public transportation again. But they also don't have fully complete platforms on everything. So Justin Trudeau said that an energy strategy would be an ongoing dialogue, not a concrete document. Hmm. That's going to annoy a lot of people. And I think, again, people are going to feel that there's going to be a bit of a like a bit of a divide between what they're saying and what they're doing so like that climate change emergency slash pipeline plan i think that's going to be something that they're really going to have a problem with now you mentioned crime and security they're not really report they're not really going to be working on this tough on crime kind of thing one thing of note though with trudeau is that under the trudeau government public safety canada listed white supremacy for the first time as a terrorist group right So I'd be surprised to see kind of what would come out of that. And then there was also Bill C-59 that overhauled some security laws. But like you said, I'm not seeing a ton of policy from them because I think their big thing is that they're just kind of going with the flow. Indigenous issues, same thing. Not a big platform, which is interesting because 2015 was the year of reconciliation, right? Mm -hmm. And now they're kind of like, well, we'll keep on doing what we're doing. Now, that being said, under their government, we did see the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls inquiry tabled. So that is something that we would probably see them continuing that dialogue again. Mm-hmm. A lot of that will depend on an Indigenous vote, though, and I'm interested to see how people will vote. I've met, you know, through the mm-hmm. the station upstairs and, and, you know, through some of my connections now doing the podcast, I've, I've come into contact with people mm-hmm. in the Indigenous community. They really don't like Trudeau. No, they don't. Um, not at all. No. Because, okay, so I can't speak for every Indigenous group. I'm not an Indigenous person. But there has always, I think, been a sense of that the government 
like maybe you and I think the government's here to protect me. If you're an indigenous person and you're looking at trauma, it's the government that put families in residential schools. It's the government that has allowed sterilization. It's the government that has allowed the millennial scoop, right? In the Ontario government, there are actually planes that cannot be flown into First Nations because those are the planes that were used to take children away. And there are family members that still know that, whose their families are broken apart still, or they're still so traumatized by it that they cannot see those planes, right? So the relationship with government is different. We're on unceded land, right? It's a very different relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's really an important part of this. I think that the reason people don't like Trudeau either is because I think people, especially in Indigenous communities, feel like they've been played by Trudeau. They feel like they've been, yeah, yeah, they've been props that they never really mattered, right? And the part of that, too, is a lot of Indigenous peoples have put in a ton of work with this government for very little result. So, for instance, there's a woman I know who works for a youth-based organization, and she spent a long time working on a Truth and Reconciliation Commission roadmap for young Indigenous peoples in this country. And she worked on it. She worked on it. She got a letter from Carolyn Bennett, who is the Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations, basically saying that, thank you for your work, but you're not going to be getting any money. And she put all of this money into one group. So it seems like a huge, big announcement. I think it was like $15 million for one group. But there were many Indigenous peoples who were kind of saying, well, we did all this work for you, too. Why was that? Mm -hmm. So there's that. Then you have your Jody Wilson-Raybould camps, which I think is already a given at this point. And then you also have some of the questions. I'm, you know, one of the things that's happened a few times too was the Grassy Narrows protester, right? When the woman yelled at him at the benefit. So, do you remember this? Oh, is that the uh, thanks for your donation, or is that something else? Yeah. So this was the I think it was the McDonald Club, okay. or the Laurier, the Laurier Club, where it was like a fundraiser, and it was like fifteen grand a person to get in. And this Indigenous protester yells, "What are you going to do about Grassy Narrows, where people are still experiencing the impacts of mercury poisoning?" And Trudeau sarcastically says, thanks for your donation, as the Mm -hmm. girl's getting dragged away. Right. So I think those are some of the things that, again, not everybody, but some Indigenous voters who are especially invested in this will have when they think about Justin Trudeau. Yeah. I don't, in my heart, I don't believe he's a bad person. Um, And I don't, I kind of don't want to believe it, to be honest. Mm Mm-hmm. Man, that guy has made some incredible missteps. I think it would be hard to believe he's a bad person because people voted at him with this hope. Yeah, I think that's what it is. But when you see some of those things, right? So some people have been saying that, you know, the brown face, the black face, even Elbowgate, even like the thanks for your donation. Some people will tell you that that's him showing who he really is, right? He's a dynasty kid at heart. Mm -hmm. When you think about dynasty kids and what they get away with or what they think is appropriate to do... You see glimpses of those in him. He's built up this like salt of the earth, high school teacher persona. He's not. Mm -hmm. He taught in high school. That's fine. He doesn't live on a high school wage. Right. He went to some of the best schools. He had a very different lifestyle. And I think that people find it frustrating that it's kind of been brushed over. But then every now and then, if he's maybe feeling smug or if he's upset and he's lashing out, you kind of see that 19 year old kid who was probably getting away with God knows what. That maybe a black kid or an indigenous kid wouldn't be getting away with. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Listen, what do we got? We got six weeks. <laughs> six weeks left. Um, five weeks. October 21st is the mandated election day. It's going to be a hell of five weeks. It's going to be so long. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're not, what, 10 days into it? Not even? I know. And uh, 
it's just it's constant every day a lot of people feel exhausted by it already yeah i get it um I can't imagine, like, shout out to the journalists who have to cover this crap every day. Especially cause... those people on the campaign plans who aren't at home, who aren't cooking their own food. Hats off to you. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what's... I, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm going to vote for. I'm going to pay attention to the next couple weeks very closely. And like you mm-hmm. said, that, that week leading into it and yeah. really see what people are saying. But mm-hmm. to me, at this point anyway, it's anybody's race. I agree with you. I think that it was anybody's race already. And I think that what's kind of come out of the past few days has only really cemented that. Yeah. But I would say to those people who, especially young people or people who aren't voting or who feel kind of let down, please vote. Like, for the people who, like, I think for people who have, like, a strained relationship with the government, it's different. And I get that. But for there are countries in this world where you don't have the right to vote. People die for this. People die for this. Also, we have seen time and time again, the difference that the young vote makes regardless if we vote or not. Right. When we voted in 2015, that election changed the course of everything. When they didn't vote in 2018, it changed the course of everything. I think all you need to do is vote. You do not need to be the most aware person on every issue. Sometimes we make the system seem a lot harder than it is to figure out. If there's one thing you care about and there's one person who speaks to something that you care about, you should vote. And again, I think we forgot somewhere along the line that these leaders work for us. So if you're mad at Justin Trudeau, if you're happy with Justin Trudeau, if you're inspired by Andrew Scheer, if you want Jagmeet Singh to be our leader, if Elizabeth May speaks to something in you, you need to vote. Figure out who your member of parliament is, who else is running, have they come to your door, And if there's one thing that matters to you in this election and you can figure out what that is, like we said, the CBC vote tracker is great. See how they speak in a debate. Do they come across like they're succeeding in a job interview? What do their policy platforms have to say? Give it a try. If you live in this country, you're qualified to vote. Bam. Um, Where can people find you? Where can they listen? You can find me on Twitter. I'm at the C O'Neill. And I did notice a spike in my Twitter followers last time I was on here. So a big thing. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, I appreciate following you because you do the live tweeting stuff. and Thank you. Um, you're a hell of a lot smarter than me at this type of stuff. No. So I appreciate you being informed and putting the work into this and for coming on and at least talking about it. Thanks um, for having me. It's great. And I think it's really important that everyone kind of gets a sense of where, where they want to go with it. Because four years of our lives, if not more, depending on the policies, you know, rides on this type of stuff so um it's important we get out there i agree all right carolyn thank you thank you Bye, everybody you take the red pill you stay in wonderland and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes